0: Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we begin our new series. Through the life and kingship of David, the predecessor to the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. First Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Beloved, these are, these are the very written words of God Almighty. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel... The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the, second, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes, and they perverted justice. So then all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Now, for many people in our country, April 18th is a big day. Do you know what I'm talking about? What is special or unique about April 18th? Not talking about tax day, okay? In the minds of many Americans, April 18th is a big day, a day to commemorate something. Does anybody know what it is? Any of our American historians know what is celebrated on April 18th, Monday, April 18th. It's Patriot's Day. Did anybody know that it's Patriot's Day? Leslie McCabe says she did not know it was Patriot's Day. What do we commemorate on Patriot's Day? Patriot's Day is a celebration of what many scholars refer to as the very beginning of the Revolutionary War as the British went in to Lexington and Concord to try to take care of what they thought was a a storage of ammunition site. And so the British go into Concord, but on the way, they come across American Minutemen standing on the green in Lexington, giving a show of force. And some shot ran out. We don't know which side fired the first shot, but there was an exchange of bullets. Eight Americans lay dead. That was the first exchange of shots between Americans and British soldiers than it happened at Concord, the very beginning of the American Revolution. Of course, there had been great tension. That was the actual day of the battles was April 19th, 1775. Of course, there had been great tension in the colonies for many years due to Britain's taxation policy. They were trying to raise money to pay off the debt. A hundred and twenty-two million pounds of national debt the British had accrued, expanding the territories of the colonies. The British were trying to get some of their money back and taxing the Americans. That didn't go so well, okay? That was the beginning of the end. A time of national crisis that eventually saw the birth of a nation. Well, the events of our text were also born out of a time of great national crisis. Extreme national crisis. War was looming in Israel. War was looming in Israel and the people of Israel had absolutely no confidence in their leadership and for good reason. But to appreciate where we are in Israel's history we need some context. We need some dates. I love dates. Hopefully you love dates. I didn't really like dates in school, but I love dates now that I'm not being tested on them. So some dates. Some dates to give us some context, okay? So that we can get kind of a 30,000 foot view of where we are in God's word. Because when you go back to Samuel, okay? And the times of Samuel and the judges, you're like, where exactly am I? It can be disorienting, okay? So let's go back to 2000 BC. Okay, 4,000 years ago from now. Go back to 2000 B.C. 2000 B.C. is the time of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're in Canaan, but they don't possess Canaan. 2000 B.C. Then 1800 B.C. to 1400 B.C. That's Israel's time in Egypt. So you have 2000 B.C., the time of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 1800 BC to 1400 BC, that's when Israel was languishing in Egypt. And then 1400 BC to about 1000 BC. 1000 BC is when the events of our text are going on. 1400 BC to 1000 BC we call the conquest. Under the leadership of Joshua and various judges, okay, the people of Israel are expanding and taking control of the promised land. And so in that time, the nations around Israel had gone from being like tribal communities and clans to being more organized nations, okay, that were centralized under a monarchy, under a king, okay. And compared to the other nations, Israel felt behind they were ruled by judges. Now, what in the world is a judge? Okay, we know what a king is. We know who Moses is, like a mediator. What was an Old Testament? Judge. Okay, Gideon was a judge. Samson was a judge. We find out that Samuel, in our text, is the last. He and his sons are the last of the judges. Don't think of men or women in long, black, You know, robes, um, kind of like, you know, um, uh, interpreting the law and enforcing the law. That's not what these judges did. Think of judges as like tribal chieftains, tribal leaders that God had raised up through Israel's history to help them at times of crisis. That's what an Old Testament judge was. Gideon was a judge. Samson was a judge, okay? Samuel and his sons are the last of the judges. The last of the tribal chieftains in Israel, okay? The nations around Israel, they are governed by kings. And to make matters worse, the last two judges appointed by Samuel were not good judges. Let's look at our text at how they're described Verses 1 through 3. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. That was a problem. That's an ancient Near East expression of nepotism. Judges should have been chosen by God. Samuel shows favoritism to his 'er ne'er-do-well sons and appoints them as judges, as these leaders of God's people. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. And to make matters worse, they were under the leadership of these bad judges. War is looming. We find out in 1 Samuel 12, the Ammonites are threatening. And their wicked king, Nahash. So 1 Samuel 8, the events of 1 Samuel 8 occur at a time of national crisis for Israel. They have two wicked judges ruling over them. The Ammonites are on the rise. Times are tough. You know, many historians view two men as being largely responsible for our victory in the Revolutionary War. Who would that be? George Washington and who? Most likely Benjamin Franklin was the other force to be reckoned with and how he helped secure the help of France. Well, the Israelites were concerned that two men would lose them a war. Samuel's son. So the Israelites, in the context of all of that difficulty and all of that dysfunction, the Israelites ask for a king. Ask for a ruler. Something that God had told them would be available at some point. So you heard Chris Bennett introduce the idea of kingship all the way back in Genesis. God promised back in Genesis... That a ruler would arise. A ruler over Israel and over the nations that would come from the line of Judah. Okay? Back in Deuteronomy, God told Moses. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 17. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is about 400 years before our text. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. And when you've taken possession of it. And when you've settled it. And you say, let us set a king over us. Like the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your chooses. The Lord your God chooses. So, the time has come to ask for a king. And God takes it personally. God is offended that the people have asked for a king. God takes it in a sense as a personal rejection. The question is why? Kings were anticipated as far back as Israel goes. Provision would be made for a king. They ask for a king. God views it as a personal rejection. Why? Well, let's go to the text. And this has been the issue that have been plaguing people since the Garden of Eden. The issue that plagues us now. And the Lord said to Samuel, we're in verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, 7. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. Here's the key. The Lord knows the heart. For they have not rejected you, Samuel. Like on the surface, yes, they've rejected you and your sons. But it goes much deeper than that. They have not rejected you. The problem is they have rejected me from being king over them. Verse 8. According to all the deeds they have done. From the day I brought them up out of Egypt. Even to this day. Forsaking me. And serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. So Samuel you're getting a little taste. Of the dynamic. That I have endured from the moment I have brought these people out of Egypt. Verse 9. Now then obey their voice. Only with this provision, you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. In other words, Samuel, you better help them understand. Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Samuel, you know, before we do this, you better give them the buyer beware and let them know what's coming if they ask for a king. Because the kind of king they want, and this is a truism in the Christian life, The kind of king they want, the kind of authority that they're looking for, is not the kind of king and authority that they need. And that has been a problem with the human heart since the Garden of Genesis. The king we want, the ruler we want, is not the king that we need. That is a truism in the Christian life. The people thought they were rejecting Samuel and his immoral sons, but in fact, they were rejecting the Lord as they had for years. Okay, so what's the problem other than that? The problem is the people didn't even take the time to ask Samuel to inquire of the Lord what the Lord would have them to do next. Okay, what did the people say to Samuel? We like a king. The people did not say to Samuel, go petition to the Lord. See if it's time for a king. Had the people done that and said, Samuel, inquire on our behalf. Is it time for a king? I think it's likely the Lord would say, I will raise up for you some judges to help you. Because David is not ready yet. It's about 42 years from this passage until that little precious boy... Who had become the greatest king in Israel's history. Was ready to assume the throne. David wasn't ready yet. It wasn't time for Israel yet. I have no doubt the Lord would have provided other judges. And waited until David was ready. But they did not ask. Why didn't they go to the Lord do you think? They didn't go to the Lord. Because they didn't have a relationship with the Lord. Their relationship with the Lord was one of like transaction. I ask you to do this for me, you do this for me, like you're here to provide for my needs. I want your stuff, but I don't really want you. The relationship they had with the Lord was transaction-based, not personal, not trust-based. It simply did not occur to them to ask Samuel to inquire of the Lord. It seemed obvious, and we are very similar Your minister often presumes on God's kindness as I live my life. I am so convicted at how much I do not pray for in my life. Like it is very convicting to me. Very humbling to me. When Stephanie and I pray at night for spouses, for our boys, I can't believe how infrequently we do it compared to how much we should do it. Why don't I pray for something that is that important with more regularity. Why don't I? Because I assume and presume on God's graciousness. I just assume that the Lord is going to provide for them humble, wonderful, lovely spouses who love Jesus. I presume on God's kindness, on his favor. The Lord wants us to pray for things to Help us understand that we are totally dependent on Him for every blessing. And we are to be a praying people because in prayer with the Lord we foster relationship. These people didn't have a conception of a relationship with the Lord. It was transactional. It was quid pro quo. You do this for me, I do this for you. Beloved, I ask all of you the same question. How often do we take time to pray For key matters in our life and key matters in the lives of the people that we love. How often do we do that? How often do we earnestly plea for God's saving grace to come into the life of our unbelieving friends and family? How often do we pray for God's grace and mercy in the lives of our spouses? Question for our seniors today, class of 22. How often do you pray before your head hits the pillow at night? I ask this of my children. You know, rote prayers and scripted prayers are good. But seniors, how often are you cultivating a relationship with the Lord Jesus via prayer? Where you talk to him Confess your sins to Him. Express your needs to Him. Your fears to Him. Your anxieties before Him. Prayer cultivates relationship. Our seniors, there is nothing more important than you can do in college. Is pray for the Lord Jesus. To know you. And draw near to you. And sanctify you. And change you and grow you. That is the most important thing you can do as a senior transitioning into college. Very convicting. Didn't even occur to the Israelites of Samuel's day to take this to the Lord because the answer seemed obvious to them. Oftentimes we don't pray because the answer just seems obvious to us or we presume on God's kindness. I promise you. I am the chief in terms of guilt over this. Very convicting. The God of the Bible is a jealous God, and that's a wonderful thing. Jesus Christ is jealous for your affections and mine. Jesus Christ is jealous for a relationship with you and with me, and that is a wonderful thing. It's for his glory, but it's also for our good. Because God designed us to live in relationship with him. And the Lord knew that deeper than their rejection of Samuel. That this really, the end of the day, in the final analysis, this was a rejection of him. What did the people want? The people wanted a king like the other nations. Okay, the people didn't want just a change in government. Okay, they didn't want a king just because the other nations had a king. The people wanted a king like the nations. What were the kings like in other nations? You know, they were, they were, they were selfish and, and self-absorbed, and they loved to have themselves announced with pomp and circumstance and lead the people to victory and all those kinds of things. Those, that's, what, like, that's what the kings of the other nations were like. People's request was incredibly superficial. Oh, those kings look wonderful. Those kings are glorious. Those kings have pomp and circumstance. Oh, we want one of those. That's what we want. Sometimes God disciplines his people by accommodating their request. And God accommodated their quest for a king. But not without a disclaimer. Look with me at verses 10 and following on panel 5 of your bulletin. It's been a while since we've done panel 5. Panel 5 is back. First Samuel 8, verse 10, the rest of the story. This is the buyer beware. This is the disclaimer. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Verse 10, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people... Who are asking for a king from him. This is what you think you want. Our college seniors. You know you think you know what you want in your college experience. You know you think you know what you want. But you don't know what you need. Jesus knows what you need. Pray Lord give me what I need. Give me what's best for me. Not what I want. Verse 10 says Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said... These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. You want the pomp and circumstance, but it comes with this. I want you to notice how often the word take is used. This king isn't going to serve. This king isn't going to give. Kings like the other nations, they take and they take and they take and they take and they use and they use and they abuse. That's what these kings do. Notice how often the verb take is used. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots. And to be his horsemen. And to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands. And commanders of fifties. And some to plow his ground. Now wait how is this helping us? Oh I'm sorry it doesn't. And to plow his ground. And to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war, and to equip, and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, and cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, and vineyards, and olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain, and of your vineyards, and give it to his officers, and his servants. And he will take your male servants, and female servants, and the best of your young men, and your donkeys and put them to his work for his benefit. Verse 17, he will take a tenth of your flocks. And the next phrase says it all. Verse 17, he will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. You have freedom in me and my rule. But you want to give that up to be enslaved by these kings of the other nations. And verse 18. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord Yahweh will not answer you in that day. Okay, Israelites, what's your pleasure? You've heard about what this king will do. This king will be just like the other nations. And what the kings do to other nations, this king will do to you. What's your pleasure? Is this what you want? Okay, look at verse 19. This is a microcosm of our hearts, my friend. But the people, in light of all that, refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like the nations. And that our king, I mean look how superficial this is. That our king may judge us and go out before us and, and fight our battles and he will look handsome and wonderful. Verse 21. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. Lord, this is what they want. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his own city. The people wanted a king just like the other nations and God gave them Saul. How did that work out? I can imagine in a therapy session, you know, that the Lord had with the people kind of like Dr. Phil saying to them after Saul, how's it working for you? You know, that go well for you? Saul took and he took and he took and he took. And Saul was consumed with his glory at the expense of his people. And when that did not work out, God judged them and handed them over to themselves. Is that what he did? Is that what God did when it didn't work out with Saul? Did he just hand them over and write them off? Is that what he did? Oh no. In the face of asking for a king like the other nations. And when it blew up in their face. What did God do for the people? He gave them David. Beloved. Wonderful David. The king that would bring blessing. And glory to the people. Not perfect by any means. And in giving them David. Who was he really Setting the stage to give them as king. They wanted a king like the other nations. And at the end of the day when all is said and done. Through David. Who did God give to the people? He gave the son of David. The greater David. The Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing how God accommodates us. Even in our sin. Not giving us ultimately what we want. But giving us what we need. And giving us David, he was setting the stage for giving us Jesus. Not a king who came to be served, but a king who came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Every week as we learn about David and hear more about him, we're going to learn more about Jesus. The true king who provides for all of our needs. Beloved, I am excited for this new series. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who doesn't just simply hand us over to ourselves and give us what we want. Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives us ultimately what we need. And you knew more than anything else in this world that we needed Jesus. That he was the only kind of king who would serve us and save us and provide for us. Father, as we learn more about David, his life, his ministry, his kingship, Heavenly Father, be gracious to teach us even more about Jesus, who is the Christ, the true King. In his matchless name we pray, amen and amen.